I'm excited to share the word with you guys this morning. Uh, Titus chapter 2 is where we're going to be. If you have a Bible, turn there. Um, Titus chapter 2, we'll dip into Titus chapter um, 3, and uh, uh, we're going to get straight to work. I'm, I'm super excited about this. This is something that's been um, heavy on my heart. It's been heavy on my heart uh, uh, really for uh, my church in so many ways, too. I think what you're hearing here is a lot of where I'm coming from. Um, um, we've always described... We've always described, or at least I, now being in the South, um, have really described the South where I live. And it's deep South. It's like shrimp and grits, chicken and waffles kind of South. Amen. Amen. You're welcome, right? And, and, it's, and, and, and we would more describe it as a de-churched culture where like, you don't run into people who haven't experienced in some way, shape, or form the love story of Jesus. They just have. It's everywhere. There's churches all over the place. And so I oftentimes get asked, um, why would you plant a church in Charleston, South Carolina? Literally, um, the first Baptist church. Now, every town's got a first Baptist, right? Mine has the first Baptist, y'all. Like the first one that ever in the United States, First Baptist. I just got a letter. We were invited to, it's like the 365th annual meeting for the, the Charleston Baptist Association. So um, people are familiar with church. People um, have somehow heard about or encountered or experienced the love story of Jesus um, in some way. Not so much how I grew up here, right? And so, so much of my heart for this is it, it, where I'm coming from is to help not just people come to, to see Jesus, to uh, know, live, and tell the love story of Jesus, but it's to see those who love Jesus continue to live for Jesus and not get bored with Jesus. And so in so many ways, um, that is where we're uh, headed this morning and what we're focusing on. Um, let me start like this. Have you ever started out strong in something, fully focused, fully committed, ended up down the road, not focused, and no longer committed? Anybody? Just me? Can't finish oh, anything, right? Right? Like you somehow lost your focus on why you started strong in the first place. Um, or there isn't the same value in it for you anymore. And as a result, it's no longer become a high priority in your life. Anybody been to the gym more than three weeks in a row? No, not a chance. Not a chance, right? At least not, not, for, not for me. Um, we go there. We start out strong in the year. Like, and some of you are going. You're already going like, I, I got to just get it all in now because January's coming in hot, right? And we're going to make that change. I'm going to be in there. And what do we do? We go in with vision. We go in uh, uh, passionate. We just go in like with some numbers and man, a little diet plan. And we're just going, I'm going to, I'm going to kill. This is going to be amazing. Y'all watch what happens to this, this creation next summer. It's going to blow your mind. And then three weeks in, like you're bigger than you were when you started. <laughs> right? Uh, this happens in uh, all sorts of things in our life. Maybe some of you, um, you've started strong in a job, right? We go in, the interview was on point. Man, just the pay just seemed like it was really dialed in. There was some strong leadership. You were really excited about the vision of that workplace. And you knew that because of the gifts that you have and the skills that you have and some of the drive that you have to see something become even greater, you knew that this job was it for you. You were going to retire 19 times and this job was going to be amazing, <laughs> and then somewhere along the way, maybe the vision changed a little bit. Man, you didn't like Sally in the cubicle next to you. Like Johnny came in, just started reeking. It was just off. You couldn't even stand the place anymore. 
the values that that company was founded on are no longer that way, or maybe just some things in your life just shifted, they changed, and so all of a sudden what was started out strong um, has now lost its value, it's, it's, it's lost its passion, it no longer carries the same um, high priorities that it once did. What about marriage? <laughs> maybe you've lost your focus on why you married your spouse in the first place, or You've lost sight of that part of your spouse that you, at one point, you valued the most. Or you've determined that it's no longer a, a high priority to keep, uh, uh, to, to keep fighting for health and restoration in your marriage. And, and here's the crazy thing, is maybe not even on purpose. Maybe little by little by little, um, the foundation of these things, the, the foundation of your uh, commitments, the foundation of your job, the foundation of your marriage has eroded little by little, and it happens slowly over time, and you aren't even entirely sure how or why, but it's happened. And where we've ended up is not where we started, and what we were passionate about, we're no longer passionate about. And I believe that the same focus and the same value and the same priorities can get lost in the church. They can get lost in the church just as easily if, if hold on, if not easier than maybe many of these other parts of um, our lives. And if they happen in the church, then more specifically it happens to the people in the church. It doesn't just happen in the church like, man, the, the, what's happening in the building is losing its zeal. Man, by God's grace and generosity, what's happening in the people, in, in the church, is a movement in the people. And so if there's a loss of zeal in the church, there's a loss of passion in his people. And what we once started out with in our faith, with our passion and our vision and our vigor to see all people love Jesus is no longer our greatest focus, it's no longer our highest value, and it quickly no longer becomes our highest priority in the church. And so um, um, here's, here's kind of what I mean. I gave my life to Jesus when I was 16. Um, in youth group, it was a little messy, like didn't really clean up for like the next 10 years, but that's a whole other story. Chris knows it, she'll lie about it all day long. I was zealous. I was just a zealous young man, like... Like when Jesus saved me, he had a plan for me. And I just knew that early on. I just knew that he didn't want me just sitting around singing songs, just like high-fiving the pastors every Sunday. There was just something that was put in me that just said, this is amazing. The love story of Jesus is going to transform so many people's lives. And I know him. I know him. And then what happens is that zeal kind of gets chipped away at a little bit. Man, I come in all zealous, all ready to go, all fired up to get out in the street. I would literally like roam the streets and tell people about Jesus. I was zealous for the Lord. And then every once in a while, someone would come along, like someone a little more seasoned in their faith or a little bit more further along in their relationship with Jesus would come along and be like, yeah, he's a little, he's a zealous one, isn't he? Just kind of put him over there. When he tames down a little bit, we can kind of then advance him in ministry. He's going to make us look bad probably right like give him give him a Xanax and a good book to read and just circle back in five years see how he's doing man I just I just I've just seen some of these crusty old veterans dumb down the zeal of people who are zealous for the Lord am I the only one 
And then little by little, so many times, people will, uh, you can only chip away so much at somebody's passion. You can only chip away so much at, at, at what people value and what they're focused on and what their highest priority is until all of a sudden they just don't care anymore. And so here's what I think we need to be reminded of, and it's going to be our focus for the rest of our time this morning. It's going to take us into our text in Titus, um, and it will serve as our outline. And it's on the screen, and you're going to write it down, and it's this. It's that the gospel, the gospel is our highest focus and value and priority, as it alone is our salvation and our sanctification. There's a lot there, isn't it? One more time. The gospel is, that's the love story of Jesus. The gospel, the gospel is our highest focus, value, and priority as it alone is our salvation and our sanctification. Turn to Titus chapter 2 and let's go to God's word and see where this plays out. I'll be, I'll start in uh, verse 11. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. I love this. For the grace of God, it has appeared. It appeared in the person of Jesus. Right? It didn't just it didn't show up in the clouds. It didn't go running down the street. It appeared with the grace of God is Jesus. Jesus is the grace of God. And he brought with him, he says, um, salvation for all people. Now this gets muddied where I live in the South, right? This gets muddied in a very racially um, tense culture where I live. It gets muddied in a very spiritually elitist culture where I live. That all doesn't mean all. All comes with a filter. All really means some. All means all the people that I think through my worldview and my upbringing uh, uh, can have salvation. Y'all listen, all means all. And if anybody fits into the basket of all, all means all, and they're in the basket with all. Like it doesn't get more, like we can't be more clear than that. There's no one beyond the reach of Jesus which means there's no one beyond the reach of salvation, bringing salvation for all people. That means that if you're here and you think there's no way that Jesus will ever forgive you for the things that you've done, or you think there's no way he'll ever look past the things maybe that have been done to you, I have great news for you, because unless you're not a person who breathes air and has a heartbeat, salvation is for you too. I can't tell you how many conversations I've been in with, with people who, I mean, their heart is sensitive and their, man, their heart just wants to surrender to Jesus, man, and it just gets shot blocked by this kind of this mentality in our culture that just says, man, I'm not good enough though. Or, but man, does, do you think Jesus really knows the things that I've done? Do you think he really knows how bad I've been, how wretched my heart is, the things that have been done to me that I can't seem to shake, but I'm holding, I got all these things, so I probably don't fit into the category category of his salvation. I have these conversations constantly, and all I can go back and say is he brought salvation for all people. Are you a people? Then all means all, and salvation is for you too. Now let's look at what it does. Verse 12, training us. This is what the grace of God through Jesus does. Training us to renounce 
ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. And so now not only does the gospel save us, um, but it retrains us, right? It changes us. It transforms us. And so it says it's training us to renounce. It's training us to change. It's training us to, to go a different direction. But the beauty in that is then I don't have to sweat a whole lot. It's training me. Jesus shapes me. Jesus trains me. He puts in the work that has to be done, and he's already done the most significant part. And when I surrender to that, it trains me to live for Jesus. Um, then listen to where the gospel ultimately, ultimately finds us. Mm, sorry, I get mm. Verse 13. Waiting for our blessed hope. This is where it finds us. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory. I'm not reading slow because I can't read. I'm reading slow because this is good. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 14. Who gave himself for us to redeem us. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. If that's not the gospel, if that's not the gospel, that he would give himself for us um, to redeem us, that Jesus would go in our place, that he would step into the space that was wretched that we created, and that he would put himself in that place and he would give himself. Like he would give all of himself. Like he wouldn't just tag team in. Like he went in, gave it all for us, not just so that he could get on a pat, a pat on the back, but it says um, to redeem us. He wanted to be with the redeemed people, and the only way that he would, knew that he would do it is for him to give himself ultimately as the ultimate sacrificial servant, and that's exactly what he did, and that's the gospel, amen? So I get a lot more amens in the South. Sorry. And then he says this in verse 15. <laughs> Declare these things. Goodness. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. So here's where it kind of breaks down a little bit. There's a little bit of a wall there maybe for um, some of us because we go, man, I'm cool with the gospel. The gospel is saving me. It's changing me. It's transforming me. Now declare these things. Say, huh? Oh, no, 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 no. That's, Y'all, that's Matt's job, right? That's what he does. That's what we come to see him do. Well, that would be to suggest that Matt was the only person in here who's given his life to Jesus. And I'm willing to submit that that's probably not the case. Fair? Followers of Jesus, those transformed by Jesus, those who, who are redeemed by Jesus, declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. So you not only have a voice in this, but you play a necessary and tremendous part in this. One of my heroes is D.L. Moody. Anybody familiar with that old man, old dead man? 
D.L. Moody, Dwight Lyman Moody, one of my um, heroes. He, um, there's a, I'm second, I'm my second pass through um, a biography on his, um, on his life. It's called um, A Passion for Souls. Man, y'all got to read this. If you just want to see what zeal over the course of a lifetime looks like. Passion over the course of a lifetime. Never dumbed down for a day. Read A Passion for Souls, the story of um, D.L. Moody. He was zealous his entire life. He was, um, he was sent from sort of the suburbs, the outskirts of Boston into the big city when he was just 17 years old. Um, he got a job as a, as a shoe salesman. He was kind of working at a shoe salesman job for his uncle. He was making decent money. He thought he would just keep going just fine. But his uncle required that if he was going to stay with him, um, he had to go to the church services down the street. Long story short, um, he gives his life to Jesus. Jesus transforms his heart and just puts this zeal in him to declare these things that make up his transformation, to declare the gospel. He then just goes on to become one of the most influential evangelists that our world has ever seen. It's been said that he's shared the gospel between the United States and traveling back and forth to Europe, that he shared the love story of Jesus with over a hundred million people, and this was in the 1800s. A hundred million people heard the love story of Jesus come out of that man's mouth. He started the Sunday school movement with a bunch of rugrats that everybody in the church said, they're too crazy, they're too far gone. There's no way that those young men will ever surrender their lives to Jesus. And he said, that's not true, man. We're going we're gonna to train them, we're, we're going to pray over them, and we're going to send them out. And that's exactly what he did. When the World Fair in the 1800s in Chicago, it didn't close on Sundays. There was a huge uh, 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 movement in all the churches in the city to protest the World Fair. And D.L. Moody said, no, man, just get me a spot with a tent and a microphone. We're going to tell them about Jesus. And 120,000 people heard the love story of Jesus. And why? Why? <laughs> because he was moved by the reality that salvation is for all people. It's for all people. All means all. I'll say this, if you don't know Jesus or if you're on the verge of knowing Jesus or are curious about knowing Jesus for your salvation, um, let me say this. Uh, it's easy in your searching and questioning to lose sight of the gospel and let it get covered under these um, religious or philosophical or intellectual conversations um, and debates where salvation and eternal life, um, they become more about some sort of moralism or behaviorism Right, like you've got to do this, you've got to check that off, you've got to not do this, and then you've got to start doing this. And those things would cause you to think that all of these things in salvation you can achieve or earn on your own. And if we're not careful, they'll pull the gospel away. They'll just pull the gospel away from being the highest focus, the highest value, and the highest priority in our lives. Jesus is the hero of the story. Jesus 
is the hero of the story. And he is our highest focus and our highest value and our highest priority. And no line of thinking or no crusty old Christian ever gets to take that away from any follower of Jesus. If you have never surrendered your life to Jesus for salvation, there's no other way than through Jesus. And there's no other focus but Jesus. There's no other value but Jesus. There's no priority that is higher than Jesus. And so maybe today you would surrender your life to Jesus regardless of where you get, you've been, regardless of what that story looks. Some of you go, man, that story's a little gritty. Hey, so is mine. But all means all, and all meant there was a way for me, and all means there's a way for everybody in this room. Amen? Your catch on. And so we said, not only is it for our salvation, but it's for our sanctification. It's for our sanctification. So we're not finished at our salvation, we're just getting started. And I think too often we put so much emphasis on this, like, man, we just got to get them saved. We got to get them saved. We got to get them saved. Now, peace out. Well, we got them saved already. Go over here. They're not saved. But we miss that the gospel is significant not only for our salvation, but it's effective and significant in our sanctification. The sanctification, some of you might go, well, that's, you've gone too, you went too far. You went too, I don't know. Well, if I can't spell it, then I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't even care. Just stop. Go back to South Carolina. We just, I said that because not a lot of people in South Carolina can spell. Sorry if you're from there. Just is the way that it is. Sanctification simply, uh, um, simply would just mean um, that we're continually being transformed in our Christ-likeness. Um, we're continually becoming more and more and more like Jesus. Through his spirit, he is guiding us and becoming more and more and more like Jesus. And it means that we're never fully there until we're seated next to him in the kingdom. And so we're in this process of sanctification. And so, yes, the gospel is necessary for salvation, but the gospel and the gospel alone is necessary for our sanctification. We track it now? You can spell it now, can't you? This is going to be fun. Let's go to chapter 3 in Titus. Verse, I'll pick it up in verse 1. All right, so here what we see is Paul instructs Titus even more specifically with the believers and the church. So now he's saying, now for those of you who believe in Jesus, I got a little something awesome for you. Um, he says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. And then he says this in verse 3, um, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Huh. Ooh, we were a treat, weren't we? We were just a blast to be around all day long, just like, let's go hang out with them, said nobody ever. Right? And, and I love this. He says, um, now do all these things. Teach them these things. Show them these things. Correct these things. Uh, we, but for we ourselves were once these things. And I love this. I love this. Before you think about getting, hear me, 
before you think about getting arrogant about your salvation, remember where you came from. Before you think that you're awesome now because all the church folk love you because you're on Team Jesus, <laughs> don't forget where you came from. Remember who you once were and never forget it because if you forget who you were, then you'll forget the power of the salvation that is yours. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions, pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another, and then Jesus. Like there's few things in the church, I'm just going to take the filter off for a second, I just, like, as if I had one to begin with. Like there's few things in the church that are crazier to me um, than veteran Christians who think they've arrived and so they sit back and let the pastor and the staff do all the work. Fewer things, and I'm thinking through some crazy things. Uh, fewer things are crazier to me than that. That alone is a fundamental example of missing the point. I love this, man, I love, I, where even is this? It's in Acts, P, uh, Peter and John, you, you don't gotta turn there, you can if you want, I'm gonna find it. I love this, Peter and John in, in Acts chapter, um, Acts chapter, I think it's three and four, these guys come in, <laughs> they start preaching, they start telling the love story of Jesus, they start preaching, man, they got the early, the, the disciples in the early day, and they're getting ready to just, they're proclaiming the love story of Jesus to the masses, Jesus is gone, he's in heaven, the spirit has came, the spirit has come, he's given power to the people to proclaim the gospel, and then Peter and John end up in jail, they heal the lame, the lame beggar in chapter three in Acts, and then here's Peter and John, now they get arrested, they get arrested for performing miracles. They get arrested because they're proclaiming Jesus. And that's just kind of complicating things. It's making things a little bit messy. Um, things are getting really difficult to control for um, those who are in authority in this time. Because, well, because a lot of people are starting to believe a lot of things that aren't what the government believes. And so the government's starting to kind of go like, hey, we got to kind of rein in on this. Like those boys healed that guy. Like it's crazy though. Like he really, really healed him. Like my man's just like doing circles around the pool now, Right? He's up and going, but like, what do we do? Like, we can't have them do this. And so they arrest him. They arrest Peter and John. They bring him in, and, they, and they, they essentially put them on trial. And they say, here's what can't happen. You can no longer teach the name of Jesus. You can no longer speak. You can no longer proclaim, no longer declare the things of Jesus. And I, <laughs> and I love this, Acts chapter 4, 17 but in order that, here's this is kind of where they said that part. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them in, charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Boys, your time's up. Your time's up. We're just going to kind of clean things up. We're going to throw down here. Look, man, you're going you to find something else to get excited about out there in the streets because this one's not going to work anymore. Okay, okay, good. But Peter and John... <laughs> But Peter and John answered them, said, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. 
Let me, let me just ask you a question. Um, have you ever heard of Jesus? Have you ever seen Jesus? Now don't get all mystical on me and be like, nah, he hadn't come down from the clouds yet, moron. No, I'm going to tell you something. If you've seen somebody who loves Jesus, you've seen Jesus. If you've been in the presence of faithfulness, you've been in the presence of Jesus. If you've been in the presence of surrender, you've been in the presence of Jesus. If you worshiped this morning, you've been in the presence of Jesus. And our boy Peter and John, they, they say to the authorities, for we cannot help but speak. We cannot help but proclaim what we have seen and what we've heard and what we've seen and what we've heard is Jesus. And so we're going to speak and we're going to proclaim Jesus. We cannot keep quiet. We will not keep quiet. And then I love the story goes on and, and they go back to the church that's being formed right now. Thousands in the making and they go back and they get out of jail. And I just love this picture. Like Peter and John go running back. They're probably a little bruised up, you know, like, you know, being in jail, right? And so they come back and they're like, whew, whew that was crazy. And I could just see everyone kind of like, are you guys okay? Are you guys okay? We can't do this anymore. That's scary. We can't all go to, we can't all go to jail and Peter and John right there here's what they you know they're probably going like yeah you're right like it was intense it was crazy you guys this thing's really bad this is going to get us in a lot of trouble this is going nowhere good for any of us like anybody else got somebody we could root for <laughs> and then it says that's not a, even close to what they did these boys get out of jail they run back to the church they say gather around we're going to pray for boldness let's go and they pray for boldness and we're here today worshiping and declaring the word because of it. Why would we do any less? Why would we let for two seconds anybody dumb down, spit on, make fun of our zeal, our passion for the transforming, redeeming work that Jesus is doing in our lives? Why? We're not done at salvation. He's got a whole lot more for us, and it's a beautiful thing. And then we come to quite possibly one of the most, I think, theologically generous and rich sentences about the gospel in the entire Bible. And it's in verse 4. 4 through 7. It's one sentence, a lot of commas. But listen, this is everything. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, when Jesus came, he saved us. And not because of works done by us in righteousness, right? That's that part that just reminds us, like, we're not that awesome. We're just not. Not by anything that you've done, not by how clever you've been, not by how many secrets you can sweep under the rug and think that you can keep them there in the presence of God, not by any of these things can you achieve what only Jesus can do. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. Like, nobody gets to boast. Ephesians 2, nobody gets to boast in what they've done. No Christian is better, which means no Christian is less. But according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly, here it is, through Jesus, 
through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that mm, being justified by His grace, we might become, <laughs> we might become, we are becoming, we're moving towards heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That is everything. That is the clearest picture, in my opinion, of the love story of Jesus in the Bible. Mm. And then just to cap it off, verse 8, he says, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things. I love that word, insist, right? So that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, right? And so there's the beauty. There's the beauty, church. The gospel isn't only saving us, but the gospel is sanctifying us. It's shaping us and changing us um, and daily for the rest of our lives to become more and more and more like Jesus, moving us closer to Jesus because we're never done growing. We're never done growing. We've never arrived. There's always room for us to continue to grow closer to Jesus spiritually and emotionally in our lives. And he'll make us more aware of where the gospel needs to seep in and do some serious work in our lives. And so here's what I want to do. I want to highlight three things. I want to speak to um, sort of these three stages of our faith that I think we go through. And so then everyone in this room will be able to identify with um, one of these stages. Um, and then in each of these stages, I want to point out how the gospel um, has its role in um, either saving us or um, in sanctifying us. And so that first one, I would say, um, is the person who doesn't yet believe in Jesus. The first sort of stage of faith, and I call it a stage of faith, like you just haven't yet given your life to Jesus. And I don't like the term non-believer. Uh, I like the term you're not yet a believer because by God's grace, Lord willing, he's gonna come, he's gonna chase after your heart and you're gonna surrender it to him. And maybe it just hadn't been yet. <laughs> but this is where the gospel saves this is where the love story of Jesus saves. The text said, and he gave himself for us to redeem us, and you are not beyond the reach of Jesus, his salvation, his gospel work in your life. And so while you, not yet believer, may be running in circles around your own life trying to figure out how you can get everything dialed in just right so that then on a good day your surrender might mean something, you're wasting unnecessary energy because the only posture that you would need to find yourself in is one of surrender, declaring that he's the king of your life. It's the gospel's ability to save you. I hope that lands on somebody this morning. And then there's this new believer sort of stage of faith. You'd go, man, I just haven't really been a believer that long. And I don't know what that time frame looks like. I think it really kind of depends on, man, how long have I been poured into? How long has somebody been walking with me in my faith and really shepherding, guiding me in the things of, uh, of the gospel? And, and, um, and for the new believer, I would say the gospel saves and the gospel sanctifies. And so the getting saved, <laughs> right? 
It's not just something that happened. It's something that's happening. We're being saved. We're being redeemed, the Bible would teach. And, and then we're being sanctified. And I think for the new believer, we've still got to embrace our salvation, not lose that zeal, and then ask the question, what does it look like? What is next for me? Jesus, what are you doing in your sanctifying role in my life? And then the last stage, I would say, is the old believer. No offense. The old believer, and to you I would say this, <laughs> um, the gospel still, it still saves. And it still sanctifies. And I don't care how long you've been walking with Jesus, he's not done with you. And he's got a tremendous work yet ahead for you. And there's nothing in you that gets to say, I've arrived, I'm there, look at me. He can still sanctify you, he can still redeem the sin in your life. And too many times, we who might consider ourselves older, Christians, veteran Christians, we do just what we've talked about this morning. We'll sit back and we'll watch those with a little bit more zeal go ahead and put in some time. We'll clap for them and sing the songs that they want us to sing. And it's a tragedy. It's a tragedy. Find somebody to disciple. Make much of Jesus. Watch him continue to save and sanctify everybody else. Amen? Uh, something crazy kind of happened in my life recently. I'll, I'll close with this story um it 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 was quite a profound moment in my life it was recently and is this how we do good with vulnerability here can i like say stuff and people aren't like that was weird just checking um i've i have a counselor i've had a counselor for 10 years his name's doyle he's amazing and he's just He's this voice in my life that I've gone to um, who just reminds me who Jesus is in my life. And I believe, we, I'm not going to get into the whole deal, but I just believe that's what really good counseling does. Is it, remind, it exposes these things in our lives, and then it shows us how Jesus redeems those things in our lives. And we're free from these things in our life because Jesus redeems them, not because i got to redeem them. That's good stuff. That's good counsel. And um, so something happened recently where uh, I ended up on the phone with Doyle because um, two people that are probably closest to me in my life, one being my wife, and then one being uh, um, the executive pastor at our church. His name's Jared. And both of them the same week without collaborating with each other um, came to me and said um, how incredibly controlling I have been. They just said, man, we just experienced you in some really controlling ways. And um, uh, but it wasn't, it wasn't like this, like, hey, can we just sit down and chat? It was like, hey, we finally had enough. My wife literally had enough. We had a meltdown. This was the type of fight. And I'm not talking like, you, you fight in marriage. I always said marriage, it's not that you don't fight. It's just that you learn how to fight really well, right? You don't fight like enemies. You fight like it's your favorite person on the planet. But you still fight with the most favorite people in your life, don't you? I feel really naked right now, don't you? <laughs> Goodness gracious. And so, uh, but it was this type of fight where I was kind of like, we've been married 10 years, like I'm not quite sure we're going to make it to 11. Because she exposed some of this controlling behavior in my life. I wasn't sure Jared was going to continue to be with us at the church for um, another day. He literally stood up in a meeting, walked out, and it took a long time to clean it up. 
And so I called Doyle and I said, I said, Doyle, man, what's going on? I, I got to be honest with you. Two, really pe two people who are really close to me came to me and just said, hey, we just experienced you as really controlling, borderline manipulative. It's kind of gross. So we don't want to be around it anymore. And I'm going, that's not who I want to be. That's not who I believe that I am. And hear me, there's nothing in me that was like, yeah, I'm just going to just wreck them today. Just watch this, wife. I'm just going to, mm, here I go, man. Just got my control just going in strong. We're just going to ruin this whole thing. Like that is not, like that was not my heart, that wasn't my intention, in no way, shape, or form. I was unaware of these behaviors in my life. They were coming from somewhere that I didn't know. I lacked the awareness to see them, which meant I lacked the ability I felt to kind of place them and see change in these things. So Doyle, what's going on? And what Doyle would typically do is say something along the lines of, well, let's talk about your relationship with your dad. I said, okay, well, we can talk about that. But do I remember, I feel like we've talked about this already. We've been here, and we've done a lot of work here, and we've seen a lot of transformation in my life here. And honestly, I think we're good. I think we're really good. We've worked through some things. There's been a lot of forgiveness. We're, we're in good shape. And it's a long story. Long story short, I was adopted. So dad, for me, is my adoptive dad. I met my biological dad when I was 16 years old. And so what he said was, no, 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 let's talk about your biological dad. I said, okay, well, we can talk about that. It's kind of a non-issue. Like, I don't really see him. I don't really even know him that well. There's just a few things, kind of some bad memories. But other than that, like, I just don't really feel like he's affecting any part of my life. And he goes, well, let's, let's talk about him. I said, okay, let's go. And then little by little, I'm going to skip over a lot of stuff. It was about an hour and a half conversation, and it wrecked me. But I've got, well, I could probably got about an hour and a half left, so maybe. <laughs> he said, um, he said, would you consider your dad to be a failure? I said, yes. Quite possibly the biggest picture of a failure in my life. He said, what are some of the ways where you believe he's become a failure in your life? I highlighted, long story aside, I highlighted a few areas. Where I was like, here, here, here. That's what, fail that's what failures do. And Doyle in his gentleness and in his kindness and spirit-filled just looked at me and he said, well, there it is. Well, there it is, Aaron. Um, you've made him a failure, not someone who fails. And we can forgive where we fail, but we peg and we miss, we miss peg or identify and put an identity on somebody who's a failure and in our hearts, we don't think that's for forgivable. Because if you're a failure to me, you're a failure to me. And if you're a failure to me, you're beyond grace, you're irreparable, you're a failure. But if you're someone who fails, there's grace for that. There's forgiveness for that. I mean, there's growth and there's opportunity in that. And he said, because you see him as a failure and not as someone who fails, you're afraid to be him. You're afraid to be a failure. And so you control and you manipulate everything and everyone in your life because you're afraid that you'll become just like him. Whew. That's good. I'm just saying, I paid a lot more for that than you did. I'm going to tell you that right now. <laughs> and he said, Aaron, what you failed to real, and I'm going like, uh, Doyle, like, oh, that's good. I hear you. You're right. I've manipulated him and I've controlled him. I've kept him in the place of a failure so that I don't, I don't have to get too close. I don't have to, then I don't have to risk. And if I don't have to risk, guess what? I'm not gonna fail. 
And he said, what you're forgetting, Aaron, is that Jesus took all your failures to the cross. And now you're no longer a failure. And if salvation is for all people, that means it has the ability to be for him one day. Then he's no more a failure than you are. And he fails no less than you do. And that by God's grace, his failures can be redeemed and no longer make him a failure. So why are you still controlling him? And here's what this was. Here's what this was. One of the most beautiful pictures of me in my life, very personally and very close for me, of what it looks like when the gospel not only saves, but when it sanctifies. And when the gospel says, Aaron, I'm not done with you. I couldn't control, I couldn't let go of the control, I couldn't fix that. But when I realized that in my salvation, Jesus already took it, he took my failure, he took his failures, he took those things to the cross, I don't have to carry them anymore, which means I don't have to control them anymore, which means I get to live in freedom so that then Jesus could save him too, amen? Yeah. That wasn't awkward. But that was good. I got off the phone with Doyle and I called, I called my dad. At the time, he was homeless. Tacoma, Washington. I was actually in Colorado. I said, I'm going to change my plane ticket. I'm not going home. Can we get dinner tomorrow night? He said, yeah, why? I said, I'll explain it tomorrow night. I flew in. I was there for four hours. We sat down, we had dinner, and the first thing out of my mouth was, I owe you an apology, and I want to ask for your forgiveness, because I've controlled you my entire life, and I've not allowed what Jesus does best to be alive in my life, and he's showing me where I'm still impaired, and where I still sin, and where I still fail, and he's growing me, and he's sanctifying me. And I'm sorry that I've held you in that position. Will you forgive me? And he said, yes, absolutely. Went in to tell me his entire story, what made him the way that he is, and the areas where he would acknowledge that he's failed. And I was able to share the love story of Jesus with him and say, but the gospel saves, which means you're not a failure. You're a man who fails, and he redeems those failings. You're no longer stuck. You can be free too. Just need to surrender your life to Jesus. And he looked at me and he said, will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? And he didn't say for being a failure in your life. <laughs> he said for the ways that I've failed you, that in your life and in mine, only Jesus could redeem The gospel is everything. It changes everything. It forgives everything. It shapes everything. It restores everything. It can save anyone. It can sanctify anyone. It is the main thing. It is our highest focus. It is our highest value. It is our highest priority because the gospel of Jesus Christ alone and it alone with no help of anything or anyone else it is your salvation, and it will continue to be your sanctification. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Mm.
And I just come before you this morning and I just declare that you are good and that you are king. And God, I'm humbled this morning to have this opportunity to proclaim your word and to speak of who you are. God, I thank you for your word, who you are and what you do and what you will continue to do. I thank you for making yourself known in your word. And so, Father, my prayer over this church and these lives and these hearts this morning is, would you not only give us the eyes to see these things off of the text that you've given us, but Father, would you move them to our hearts? Would you stir these things in our hearts where all of life comes from and would we live out of our hearts? So Father, in some people this morning, would you, would you just stir your salvation in them? Would they see that you and only you are king? You and only you are Lord. You and only you is salvation. And Father, for those saints who have walked with you, Father, would you continue to walk with them? Would you just inflame the spirit in their life and rekindle their zeal for you as if it was their first day with you? Save them today, save them tomorrow, and may their passion never be extinguished. Father, we love you, and we look forward to what you have for us, your people, your church. It's for your glory. In Jesus' name, church said, come on, let's worship.